Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Travels hostess. Tonight, I'm joined by Slasher Samantha. Hi. As we close out Malta, our paranormal trip to Malta. Have you been to Malta? You've been to Italy, right? I have, but I've only been to Rome, Capri, Pompeii. But not Malta. Not Malta. I will say Pompeii for me was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think we talked about this the last time we talked about Italy, but it is it is that important to talk about because Pompeii is just so cool. Yes. Because it's not, it's so landlocked now, and to think of it being this seafaring town is just kind of mind-blowing in itself. Right. And we live by an active volcano, and the earthquakes have been going like crazy up here. Right. And, you know, that was what they experienced right before they had this huge explosion. Right, and they didn't think that, that was a thing. I mean, who would think that that was a thing? Yep, they didn't go anywhere. They didn't have a chance to get out. It was crazy. It's kind of sad, actually. It is really sad. But Malta, I mean, Malta has this incredible history. And I kind of went over it in the previous episode, The Haunt of Malta. And it's just, I mean, the Phoenicians, the Carthinians, the Romans, the Arabs, the Normans, the Spaniards, everyone just straight rolled up, mm-hmm. up on these the series of five islands. And I mean, I'm impressed with how much history or how much has happened on the and there and we're not talking a huge plot of land here. Right. But we are talking about a very strategically placed plot of islands so but as with most of our episodes when we close out a paranormal trip we usually talk about a crime associated with that area so what are we talking about tonight well i was tasked with finding a serial killer since i'm slashers with samantha and needless to say there's only one so my research was kind of rough but what I've decided from all of this is we should all pack our bags and flee to Malta immediately because it's apparently one of the safest places. So right. we just need to go. And they just us. have so much stuff going on. Again, it's like I was really impressed with Malta. I never really thought about Malta in terms of visiting prior right. to the research for last week's episode. And now you want to go? There is a slight uh, inclination. Yeah. But, I mean, let's be honest – I've been putting Scotland off, and that's my, I think, my next place. Malta or Scotland? Scotland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That would be cool. Scotland, Ireland, I mean, there's so much history there, but it's not somewhere I think I'd want to stay for a long time. Right. I picked Rome very strategically because it's centrally located. I was there for six weeks, 
And I wanted to be able to see a lot of stuff and never run out of anything. And I had a friend that studied abroad in Scotland or Ireland, I can't remember. And she was there for like six months. And she was like, it was great for a while. And then it was just like castles and breweries, which is great if that's what you're into or pubs, I should say. Right. But she was like, it did get a little much after six months. And I'm like, I'm sure anywhere gets a little boring after six months, though. So. It's kind of interesting, but Malta da is very eclectic. It seems like there's a lot of different influences, which may, would make it really fun to visit. Correct. Correct. Right. So the serial killer. So the serial killer diving right in for our podcast tonight, we'll be talking about Salvatore Silvio Majan. And as I stated before, he is Malta's only serial killer. So Silvio was born in Zeton. I listened to how to say this and I've already forgotten in 1965 and he proceeded to commit all of his heinous crimes over a 14 year period between 1984 and 1998 which is kind of interesting because there's only three of them and they kind of make it seem like he was a spree killer but I really think that he probably was more incarcerated or just kind of fell off the face of the earth because there's really not a reason why. And they're not super spread out. Like two were really quick and then one was significantly later. So maybe he was incarcerated in between there. So my guess is that they were not probably familiar with serial killers. And when I say familiar, like they didn't have a problem. Oh, 100%. They did not know how to investigate this. They didn't know how to deal with it. And... What's really interesting is he wasn't really deemed a serial killer until two years ago. Okay. Well, I think for the record, once you, and again, these are real people we're talking about. Well, once you knock off three people, that I think is the mark. You get to a certain point. I think it also too is kind of hard to deem him as a serial killer because like Ted Bundy was very direct. Like he, that was what he was doing. Like one way or another, he was getting victims. You see that with, all of them. Right. Except for this guy. Like, when as we start to talk, he seems to be more of a crime of opportunity type of situation. Right. And so it's kind of hard to say he's a serial killer because it's more like he was doing something and then he murdered in consequence to what he was doing. But it wasn't, like, he wasn't going to murder. That was not his priority. Right. That was the primary objective. Okay. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. But his first victim was named Rosina Zamet, and she was 54 years old. She was stabbed 37 times in her Safi home in 1984. She was found lying in a pool of blood between two beds. I could not find a lot of stuff about her, but her we're already seeing this extreme overkill. I mean, right, 36 times? 37, and she's 54 years old. I mean, That's was like that necessary? rage. Right. I mean, this is my mom's age. Like, I don't think you need to stab anybody 37 times. I mean, it's right. insanity. Once in the correct spot. It, it's just so much overkill. And for someone who's, you know, getting into that kind of vulnerable population, it just seems so unnecessary. Vulnerable, 54. Well, you know what I mean? I mean, it's different than when you're attacking like a 20 something year old or okay. even, you know, like, I mean, I think I, I'm getting older. I'm going to be Look, able to defend myself less. is not that old, folks. Well, so that's one of his younger victims. So we'll put it oh, that okay, way. So okay. when I say this, I say well, this you know, for a reason. It's funny. And this is, we're, this is slightly getting off tangent. I had recently seen my cousin at a family scenario and we were talking about how, when 
we are now the age of our parents. Right. And I'm like, um, uh, 39 is not that old. 45 is not that old. And you're like, well, that senior age of 54. Um, no. Well, I mean, and right, I am so not an ageist, but I do remember being younger and looking at my mom and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, 34 is so old. And now here I am (laughs) 30 years, 34 years old. And do I have the ability to fight off someone better than a 20 year old? Maybe if I have the motivation, but in, well, I mean like if my kids are home, I'm I'm fighting for the death, you know, like if it was just me, I'm, I might not have that level of adrenaline that I would if my children were in the house, you okay. know. That's fair. That is a fair statement. Right. But like I can think about, you know, my kids have all graduated. I'm by myself. I do think that makes me somewhat more vulnerable in its own right. And he definitely took advantage of people that he thought would be easy victims. Well, so how did he find her? <laughs> so, like I said, this one's really difficult. So let's not talk about that on this one. And let's move into the second one because there was way more on her. And I think it was because of how big the trial was on the second one. Because we'll see a little bit more about how it, it unfolded okay, in okay. the next ones. So his second victim was Maria Stella Madrin. And she was 68 at the time of her death. She was in her cusp. I cannot pronounce that house on October 29th, 1986, when three men, one of them being Silvio, knocked on her door. Silvio and another man, Oswaldo Spitteri, oh my gosh, I cannot say any of these names. I'm a horrible Italian. So Oswaldo and Silvio broke into her home and Oswaldo's uncle acted as a lookout. After robbing her, Silvio stabbed her to death. The autopsy showed that she had died a very brutal death after being stabbed 11 times, all of which were inflicted with a lot of strength. One stab wound was so violent it broke a rib and punctured her lung. So again, the this is back-to-back violent attacks. Super violent. But it seems like he is identifying people to go into their house and rob them. So he's selecting these victims. I think so. Just because... He's finding people over a certain age and then he's violently attacking them. But it, it seems to be that he's violently attacking them because he robbed them. Okay. And so we'll see that unfold. A so did he rob too. the first victim? It, or? They, they don't say anything about it in the research that I did. But I would assume based on the fact of what he does with this one in the next group that every time that he went there, he went to rob them. Okay. And it's just robbery. We're not talking about rape or. No, no rape. Just it seems like. He's murdering to make sure that they can identify him. Okay. Because even the prosecutor who was trying to convict him of Maria Stella's murder stated that these were gr- like extremely gruesome overkillings for a small amount of money. Right. So it was like 1,400 euro. Okay. It well, wasn't super crazy. It's not like he was attacking millionaires. Right. He probably just took their life savings. I I think, though, there's something... Un- I mean, there's attacking and killing, and then there's attacking and stabbing an, a woman 37 times. But he wasn't, like, stalking them. He wasn't in, loving with, in love with them. But you do wonder where his rage comes from. Correct. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Just kind of maybe some of his underlying mental health issues and substance use issues that maybe just perpetuated his rage a little bit. So we'll get to that as well. But... These crimes went unsolved, so the crime 
the murders of Maria Stella and Rosina, they went unsolved for years until he was jailed for other crimes. While he was incarcerated, he apparently told other inmates that he was involved in these crimes, at least definitely with Maria Stella's murder, which is ironic because the ones that then kind of rat him out and the reason that we find him is because of jailhouse informants because they're so reliable. (laughs) But he was actually in jail because of the next one. So, but that was in 2005. So he was incarcerated in 2005. The jailhouse informants come forward. And because of that, all three men from from Maria Stella's murder are arrested. So while they're arrested or while they're incarcerated, Oswaldo commits suicide in police lockup and his uncle dies during the court proceedings. So... So now they're gone. Right. And Sylvia is still in custody. Okay. But like I said, so they're in jail. This was all very complicated and confusing. So I was really trying to construct the timeline. from. So from what I can understand, when they come out and he admits this to these other inmates, he's in jail for this next crime. But chronologically, that's not how it went. So we had one crime in 1984, and then we had one crime in 1986. Okay. So... so he- to be clear, it sounds like he was a lifetime criminal. I think so, too. I think that we see, because we go from 86 to 1998, and I would imagine in that time period that we don't have killings, that maybe he was, you know, kind of in and out of jail for maybe petty robberies. Because if you're stealing, you're probably stealing all the time. I mean, I don't think you necessarily stop this, and if you're willing to steal and murder for what you're willing to steal? Brutally murder, yes. Right, then. Did he have a wife? Did he have children? I No, I did not find anything on any of that. So he was 21 years old when he committed the crime in 1986. Okay. Which is something that we'll also come back to, which is kind of bizarre. But So his last victims in 1998 were his neighbors. They were 75-year-old Francisco and his sister Giuseppe Cesar. So I also found that their names maybe were Francis and Josephine, which are vastly different, but I just wanted to note that in case someone had found it differently. But for my sake, I'm going to say Francisco and Giuseppe. So Sylvia had attempted to rob the Cesar's home, but was spotted by Giuseppe. He was worried that she would uh, go on and identify him and get him caught. So he went back to the house, rang her doorbell, and when she opened the door, he stabbed her in the stomach and right arm immediately. So her brother sees that she's being attacked and he comes to his aid and Silvio stabs him in the chest. And they're in their 70s. He's 75. So you'd imagine the sister. I mean, don't get me wrong. Italians, especially back, just in general, Italians do are known to have big families. Right. But these so, are Maltese people, just so we're. Yeah. Well, but. Same area. Yeah. Same origins, probably same religions and all that stuff. But they. um they're known to have big families. So, right. I mean, they could have like a 10-year gap. They could have a two-year gap. I didn't see ages on her, just ages on him, and he was 75. Okay. So, at, during this attack, Giuseppe survived, but her brother unfortunately succumbed to his injuries. Aww. Yeah, it was super tragic. And he was doing it to defend his sister at 75 right. years old. So, like, that only makes you, like, not that... All the other ones don't break your heart, but like that just breaks your heart even more because now this poor girl's... He was just trying to be a big brother. Well, and she's surviving with survivor guilt because, I mean, it's just horrible. The whole yes. thing is just horrific, and I can't 
handle it. But Salvador. Yeah, he's a horrible human. So it is very clear that he has a specific MO because we kind of touched on that earlier. His victims were all over their the age of 50. So I think in his mind, especially when he was like in his 20s attacking the two younger women, he did think that they were vulnerable or that they were less likely to defend themselves. Correct. And then he had stabbed all of them. So he had a, the same... Um, mo for how he committed the murder it was very personal to stab someone it was an overkill and then he it was all likely that the murders were a result of him trying to rob them and then him trying to essentially cover his own tracks for lack of a better explanation yeah right so as i stated before silvio was apprehended and in the course of this apprehension, they find out that he's schizophrenic and he's alcoholic, but they check to see if he's competent to stand trial, and he is, and so they find that he's sane enough to defend himself in, a, in his initial court hearing in 2002. He later pleaded guilty in 2004 and was given a 21-year sentence for the murder of Francisco and attempted murder of Giuseppe during the course of a robbery. So while he is serving this 21-year sentence... Then he starts to go through the court process for the two other murders. So he's sentenced for them separately, but ultimately he gets two life sentences for the murders of Maria and Rosina. And because of those two convictions, he's the first person in Maltese history to receive two life sentences. They've never handed that sentence down before. They've given one life sentence, but never two. So, he made history, I guess. I'm well, and I mean, that does speak, I think, volumes as to the type of things that are or are not happening in Malta. Serial killer killings right. are not happening. I mean, you one of the first things you said about Malta was that it's one of the safest places. Well, if your life sentences, your back-to-back two life sentences are happening in the 2005 Yeah, it was like the other serial killer we talked about in a small village town in Italy. I mean, those, so those Maltese, they have like the same vibes, those tiny little towns, and those people are not situated for that. They know everybody. I mean, he attacked his own neighbors. No one probably saw that coming. Right, right. So it just probably blew him away. So his second life sentence was handed down unanimously from a jury, though his lawyer tried desperately to mitigate his crime by stating that he was only 21 when the 1986 murder was committed, but that ultimately didn't have any effect on the jury, I think largely because of how gruesome the murders were. Some interesting things that I found out about his court proceedings was that he had unusual ear tattoos, so he had an S in one and a K in the other, and while he was being investigated, interrogated, whatever, they asked him what the S and case stood for. And he said, well, don't you know it stands for serial killer? <laughs> and they were like, okay. They, like, they thought, you know, he was trying to be humorous, which I don't think any of this is funny. But, I mean, he's and just or so wise. nuts, right? Like, right. he's so crazy. But And that's not because he's schizophrenic. He's just a crazy human. But... It actually, later he came out and said that it actually stood for his initials because he, his middle name was a K, so it was S and K for his nickname. Okay. He also stated during his proceedings first that he murdered the women after they bribed him with cigarettes and his favorite dish of eggs and chips, 
why you would kill someone after they offered you cigarettes in your favorite dish. I don't quite understand his reasoning there. And then his other excuse, then he kind of like backpedals again, because apparently that one didn't work. He said that he had to kill them so that they couldn't identify him after stealing money from him. Which I think is the actual reason. I do too. So Justice Lawrence Quitano describes Silvio as a terrible and cruel because, well, he just, in general, he described him as terrible and cruel, but... Also because one of his victims was stabbed so hard that the handle of the knife left an impression on her skin. Oh, my God. So, I mean, it was very, very brutal. So, another fun fact, Silvio is actually still living and imprisoned at Corradino Prison. As so, he's still alive? November of 20... Yeah, I mean, he's only born in the 60s. So, I mean, he literally is only... He's now the age of his victim because my mom... Like, hold on, let me do some quick math in my head. My mom's like 56. He's a, what, what year was he born in? He's about to be 60-ish. Yeah. He's, he's not even 60-ish. 65. 1965. So, yeah, he's like 58. Mm-hmm. Wow. Isn't that crazy? He did all of this at a very, very young age. Which, I mean, I think to some extent also makes you even more like dangerous, like that your brain was already so corrupted and violent at such a young age. It's just bizarre. Were you able to find any information about his family life, his upbringing? I did not find anything about him, but I'm not not going to lie. I don't actually really like to necessarily look into them. I mean, I, I did. I did look for his background, but I don't want to talk about him. He's awful. Let's talk about his victims. Like right. we, you know, I feel horrible for their family because they're probably still living. They have grandparents or, gra- I mean, these guys were grandparents that probably have grandchildren that. Right. I mean, he essentially destroyed, you know, people in this particular area not only live long lives, right. but they are in my in my estimation, essential part of families. Definitely. I mean, my grandfather, who was my last standing grandparent, once he died, the family pretty much stopped. Right. And then I mean everything, holidays, birthdays, and it was kind of like you didn't really realize how much or how essential that is the main tie that keeps everything tied together. A lot of so. your history, your background. Right. But, I mean, especially in this region, I think they're more communal anyway, so they tend to, like, live as a family and live close Correct. together and eat often together. And so it probably was such a big loss. For, I mean, it's a big loss for anybody, but they probably felt it because they were living so close. And I mean, know. the brother and sister were living together. Right. Because I think that is very, very normal in their culture. Right. So it's, it's crazy. He was horrible. I think because he was their first serial killer and he really only got that name a couple years ago. And this is still only 12 years old. And, but it's, the crimes happened so long ago and they, like we talked about, didn't know how to handle it. I don't think there's a lot about it. I don't think he was notorious enough because he, you know, it was only three people. You know, I think that. And some, greatly spaced. The yeah. first two and then there's a gap. And I think in serial killer porn, if you only, if it's only three, you're a lesser known. And so right. I just don't feel like there's like a ton of stuff out there. 
to research because I, w- I mean, I hope that there's a lot more. I would like to know more about these people. How were they there? Like, were there more people near them? How did no one hear? I'd like to know more about the crime, but it was hard to find anything. Okay. I just think it was, I also, the justices or justice, I think there's only one sitting on this case, but they made it perfectly clear that he was a shame to Malta. And I don't think they want to talk about it. I think he is a blemish on their history and they would prefer that he just go away. Right. So if he's still alive, my assumption is is that Malta does not have the death penalty. I would assume so too because, I mean, he's been sitting there for at least 20-something years now. Well, and not only that, I mean, to be fair, if they don't have the history of having to constantly persecute or prosecute right they might these not types have of place. crimes they probably don't have it in place yeah and a lot of european countries actually don't believe in capital punishment so i wouldn't be surprised if that was just not their nature i mean i'm sure catholicism is probably pretty heavy through here or at very least christianity and so a lot of people a lot of really religious places what whatever religion it is doesn't really vibe with capital punishment. Mm. So I kind of wonder, I mean, if I ever become the pre- oh, the president, well that too. But if I ever become the, the governor, I will enforce capital punishment. Yeah. yeah that, uh, we had a potential governor candidate say something about that. And I don't think people loved that. It's, you know, it's a, it's a hard topic. We could talk about capital punishment all day, and I could totally get into it with you. Um, I think we've proven that our system is flawed until we do some work there. I think there does need to be inter- introspection. But when you have someone like Charles Manson sitting on death row, yeah, I don't necessarily think we need to look more into that one. But, you know, I do think that there are some out there that have been handled handed uh, death penalties that maybe was flawed in its processing and you know there is concession to that you know the justice system is in theory perfect until you until humans exercise 100 percent the justice system that's always the problem whoever sits on that bench is essentially the ultimate law of the land unless questioned and right. in a certain era, well, especially I mean, it, it with racialness. it trickles down. You have a, 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 wide, a wide range of different uh, jobs, starting from the cops, starting with the district attorney, starting with the prosecution and defense attorney. Right. And then you have your judges. And then you have your juries. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... You have a lot of moving parts when it comes to the justice system. And again, the concept is perfect. The actuality, yeah. because of the humans, the practice, the practice is not. Yeah. I completely agree. And like I said, we could talk about it. If you guys want to hear us talk about the death penalty, <laughs> we can get into it. I will bring someone that is like pro-death penalty. We'll bring someone that's anti-death penalty, and we will hash it out. So you guys want that, you let us know, because I'm in. I love the death penalty. I've researched it so much. Not it in itself, but like I love the legal system. I'm ready to talk about it. So if that's what you guys want, I will answer that call. Please tell us. <laughs> well, so... 
I know that was really short. My sources were the Times of Malta and LovingMalta.com. I also used other couple other Malta newspapers to get information that were a little bit smaller. But one thing I did find on the Times of Malta were previous life sentences that have been handed down because I was kind of worried that this was going to be kind of short because I couldn't find a ton of stuff. So I found that two of the longest serving inmates are... Tunisians, and they were sentenced to life in jail after admitting to four people on separate occasions, so not even a life sentence per se, but life in jail, so I'd be intrigued to see what that means, and it only says one, but there was four people, so I thought that was kind of interesting, and then other ones that they had, they had Joseph Harrington, and he was convicted of murdering Sylvia King, who was burnt alive in her car. Oh my God. Right. And there was birth. I mean, that's horrible. I can't even like I'm laughing in my uncomfortableness because that's just terrifying. And I have to go get my car in a second. There was Andy Spettery, who was who admitted shooting police constable Roger DeBesta as he stood guard outside of the bank of Valletta Branch. And he formed a five man gang that robbed the bank. And they both received, him and another guy both received a life sentencing or a life sentence after admitting to their part in the theft. And then I found one about a child, and we're not going to talk about that one because that one makes me sick. Yeah. I mean, well, you all know, of them do, but. So in, when one of the things I do try to do is kind of familiarize myself a little bit. I mean, there's no way in the world, especially not being associated or have a lengthy association, rather, of the place, you know, that's a lot of years. I mean, I could tell you, I could talk all day about the United States and the history and right. this, that, and the other, but I certainly could not do that for any other country simply because right. that is not my country. I was not raised with the culture and the history. But in my research of Malta, one of the things that did keep coming up and, and you keep refer- referencing yourself as Italian, which you are, is I guess it were a series of mafia hits that were not pleasant. And I, I mean, no way in our discussions of, hey, what kind of crime do we want to cover for Malta? Did that come up? Because that scared the shit out of me. Right. I mean, they were blowing people up in their cars it's I crazy. mean, serious mafia shit. No, I don't need that. I do not need that. It was kind of interesting because, like, in Italy, there were mobs. I mean, that that's known. A lot of people actually came to the United States to get away from that. And then when they got here, they went into, the, like, the slums of New York, and then they formed mobs again. And those mobs were brutal, but they had very strong rules so to speak like they had no holds against each other but they didn't harm women and children and looking at them in comparison to gangs is another fascinating conversation I would get into any day but it's kind of interesting to see how they came to America and felt like mobs were again important for them for protection but I think it's just what they knew but the mobs in Italy were so violent like the Sicilians were known to be extremely extremely violent but the funny thing about these areas is that they at all one point were like the same empire in the same place. So they broke off into their own little countries and whatnot. But like those underlying roots is what you see throughout culture. So when I talk about Malta like it's Italy, I mean, it has there's so many similarities there. There's right. and it, I said in the previous episode that it's off 
south of Italy. It it is, but it's actually more off the coast of Sicily. Right. So off yes. And that's kind of I mean, even what's interesting. Jason and I, you know, we talk about my brother and I talk about being Italian, but we he goes and does his DNA and it actually says we're French. Well, our family is from the French Italian Alps. Right. So they came from Italy, but the origins of our people up in northern Italy probably were at some point French, so right. to speak. Or from that, right. Correct. So it's kind of interesting to see that because at one point, once again, this was all probably ran by one group of people and then they break off and they're like, well, now we're French. But no, you're still of this same bloodline that goes back. Correct. And so it's kind of fascinating. Right. But I would imagine that they probably share very close DNA to the Sicilians because they were probably close enough that that's who they traded right. with and intermingled Correct. with and married. Yeah. So. Very fascinating. I like stuff like this. Right. They probably could see each other from their houses. Yeah, for sure. Not to quote an idiotic individual. Anyway. Well, so, I mean, (laughs) once again, Italians eat, or Northern Italians eat white creamy sauce. Sicilians like spicy red sauce. They like seafood. These guys in proximity were probably the only ones that wanted to trade with them. You probably didn't really take fish up into Rome. I mean, maybe to some extent, but like these were probably your direct... Traders, so it's right. kind of interesting. I'd be intrigued to see what the overlap is if we really drilled down into their cultures. Right, but this is cool. I mean, not him, but talking about Malta, he's not cool. Right, anyway. uh, like I, I cannot stress enough. Malta has been a pleasant surprise. So. All right, that is what we have for you tonight because the lights are literally flickering. I know, short and sweet. Thunder's rolling. Yes, we got thunder and lightning is happening here. So. Thank you, thank you. We're going to have all of our stuff on Facebook. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. You know our emails. Panda hates it. <laughs> the dark corners are at gmail.com. To, like if you have a topic or another country that, you know, we maybe not have considered and you want to recommend, send us that email. Yeah, I mean, ironically, Vina asked me the other day, what are your favorite episodes? And I was just like, it's so hard to nail them down. But I really kind of like the ones where we, I love our traditional ones. I think that Sierra's phenomenal. But I kind of like some of the different stuff we're doing. So give us some feedback. We're open to trying anything. But reach out to us. Let us know what you want, either on Facebook or Gmail. We are dying to hear. We'd love to have some new topic ideas and take us down a rabbit hole. We'd love that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, final thoughts? Oh, I, I'm with you. Let's just go pleasant final thoughts, and uh, let's figure out when our trip to Malta is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'll go with you. <laughs> All right. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. <laughs>